Section three of A Hypocritical Romance and Other Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Sia Tuine. A Hypocritical Romance and Other Stories by Caroline Ticknor. The Judgment of Paris Reversed. I little thought that I should ever be called upon to feel the role of the world-famous Trojan, especially as I had always bemoaned the fact that I was not blessed with my full share of the good looks with which my enemy, Paris, was so plentifully endowed. I say enemy advisedly, for I disliked him from the first, and have always cherished a wholesome disdain for him while I regarded his willingness to give up both wisdom and riches, merely for the sake of a good-looking woman, as the very height of imbecility, which could not have failed to bring upon him condign punishment. Being an old bachelor myself, and blessed with what I considered a fair amount of common sense, I felicitated myself that so far I had not fallen a victim to the charms of any member of the fair sex, Possibly this may have been due to the fact that I had always avoided the danger and had let the fair ones severely alone. My friends often tried to inveigle me into society, but I would not be tempted. I was contented, determined to let well enough alone. I would not court unhappiness, nor would I call upon anybody's pretty sisters. No, not I. On a certain winter's evening, a little over a year ago, I had been enjoying a very cozy dinner with my three friends, Weston, Hollingsford, and Mitchell, charming fellows, who, though somewhat younger than I, yet always showed a willingness to dine chez moi, which was not tempered by any discrepancy in years. On this particular evening, dinner was over, and Mitchell was just dropping a second lump of sugar into his cup of black coffee when the conversation drifted in the direction of the German opera. Madame Flambeau is without doubt as ugly a woman as ever existed, I incidentally remarked. Oh, no, broke in Weston. Indeed, she is not. I have a cousin by whose side she would be considered a perfect beauty. I hastened to declare that I did not believe it possible when Hollingsford asserted that he had a cousin whom he would match against any homely woman that Weston could produce. I don't believe that your cousin is a circumstance to mine, he continued enthusiastically. She would take a prize in any exhibition and create a sensation that would fill the heart of the $10,000 beauty with despair. I have no hesitation in saying that she is the plainest woman in the whole world. Look here, interrupted Mitchell, who had up to this point seemed quite absorbed in studying the weather indications presented by the bubbles floating across the surface of his coffee. I have a cousin, too, whom I'm ready to put up against any two women that you can produce, and I will wager any amount that she will knock Hollingsford's cousin into the middle of next week. Impossible, responded that worthy gentleman. I'll never yield the prize to anyone but Maria Agnes Palmer, 
only daughter of my beloved aunt mary who always used to urge my mother to let me spend my vacations with her in order that she might make my life miserable until i came to regard the opening of school as a happy release she belonged to macaulay's class of old puritans who looked upon bear baiting as a sin not because it gave pain to the bear but because it gave pleasure to the spectators and maria agnes is just like her mother so everyone tells me both in looks and disposition i say weston exclaimed mitchell what fun it would be to bring them all together and let lloyd here decide who is the ugliest then we will abide by his decision as he is of course the only disinterested one how could i for instance ever regard my cousin kate mitchell with an impartial eye when i remember how she comes to see my sisters just so often for the sole purpose of telling how injurious cigarettes are how very extravagant i am considered and what expensive roses she heard that i sent to miss wellington on the night of her reception which i attended after having regretted that business duties would prevent my coming to her kate's musicale that same evening as though i could be in two places at once capital cried weston we will invite them all to dinner and lloyd shall sit in judgment and the cousins of the defeated candidates shall pay for dinner what do you say lloyd will you refuse to face such a galaxy of beauty i replied that under the circumstances i would come to the dinner with pleasure though they knew that it was against my principles to mingle in feminine society at all but i begged that i might not be forced to decide so weighty a question i was however overruled and before i knew it had consented to shoulder the responsibility of selecting the least attractive cousin and had moreover said that i should be most happy to take the whole party to the theatre in the evening we finally came to the conclusion that during the dinner i should have ample time to decide which cousin carried off the palm of ugliness and to her when dessert came on i should present a bonbonnier which in form of a gilded apple should surmount the tray of bonbons and thus shall the judgment of paris be reversed gaily exclaimed mitchell as he condescendingly pocketed a couple of my best cigars before bidding me good-night only remember that you must escort the heroine of the golden apple to the theatre yourself after having shown her such marked consideration ha <laughs> ha he added to think of lloyd really accompanying ladies to the theatre of his own free will we must keep a sharp lookout for the cousins fellows if we are going to expose them to the battery of his fascinations poor things i hope their heads will not be completely turned i joined the laugh with the others but after they had gone i sat down by the fire and thought what an idiot i had been to allow myself to be drawn into such juvenile nonsense was this all that my consistency amounted to ought my good resolutions long preserved unbroken to be thus lightly set aside for anybody's cousins should they prove ever so repulsive and disagreeable they nevertheless wore petticoats and belonged to that class of cold and heartless schemers whose society i had forsworn since the day long years since when my best friend 
Richard Jackson had died of a broken heart, and I had determined thenceforward to have nothing more to do with the treacherous sex. After all, it made very little difference to me. Cousins might come and go without affecting me in the least. I had long ago become invulnerable, and had learned coldly to pass the schemers by on the other side. In less than three weeks from this time, the night for the eventful dinner arrived. It was to take place in my apartments, as I had heard that my sister, Mrs. Winchester, was to be in town, and happy thought, knowing that she would expect to dine with me, I arranged to have her come and help me to receive the cousins, for whose arrival I now waited with much greater interest than I would have willingly acknowledged to anyone who could be aroused within me merely by the arrival of three very ugly women. It was probably the fact of their unusual ugliness that interested me so much, and I had several times caught myself speculating upon the probable immensity of Miss Mitchell's mouth and the possible magnitude of Miss Palmer's nose. I had even calculated in a scientific way the relative importance of these two given features. Admitted that each was just as ugly as it could be, which was the most important, a nose or a mouth? Both were quite necessary, but there had been times when I had felt that I could dispense with my nose, but my mouth? Never. I was determined to be most conscientious in my decision. This was the first time that I had invited any ladies to dine with me, save an occasional distant relative from the country, and my sister, who always condescended to spend a long and unhappy evening with me once a year. How much good advice she could get into one evening, and what unalterable opinions she had on every subject, from politics to laundry bills. No one else could be held responsible for her opinions. She entered the world fully armed and equipped with them. It was bad enough for women to have opinions at all, and even when they had the sense to get them from some reasonable man, they always lost sight of the essential points and permitted every little personal prejudice full sway in the end. I could not but feel, however, a slight flutter of excitement at the thought of receiving three of the much-avoided sex at once, besides my sister. I vaguely wondered if the man had dusted the rooms. I knew that women objected very much to dust. Whenever I heard it said that any woman was a model housekeeper, a vision arose before me of someone wearing a white apron who appears flourishing in one hand a dusting cloth and in the other a feather duster who invades the peaceful study or the tranquil sitting room and with her weapons of warfare begins her work of devastation. She fills the air with minute particles, and the dust rises at her approach. She moves all the papers and alters the positions of the pipes and matchboxes. Then she takes down all the books and rubs the dust into the edges with the cloth before putting them all back in the wrong places. I went over to the mantel and blew violently to see if it was dusty. Evidently it was, for I sneezed. How stupid of James! I took out my silk handkerchief and switched it nervously up and down the mantel shelf until I succeeded in knocking off my best pipe, just nicely colored too. Women were a perfect nuisance anyhow, 
and had always made trouble for every one since the advent of eve nevertheless i could not control a desire to glance in the mirror each time that i went by it an offence of which i am seldom guilty and as i straightened my tie for the sixth time i was dimly conscious of a faint satisfaction at the thought of perhaps making somewhat of an impression in my role of genial host upon an invoice of femininity which had not been spoiled by too much flattery and adoration i was only forty after all and if not handsome my hair had not yet begun to grow thin on top and my teeth were really remarkably fine the genial smiling host was certainly quite my style i knew these thoughts to be unworthy of me as a scholar and scientist but we are all unworthy of ourselves now and then steps in the hall caused me to take up a paper and assume a careless position in my easy chair by the fire my sister had arrived and also mitchell by whose side appeared the first of the cousins i rose hastily and met them with great cordiality i am so very glad to know you miss mitchell this is my sister mrs winchester who has kindly consented to preside over our little party and who will i know have the goodness to show the ladies where to leave their wraps before my first guests had taken off their things hollingsford appeared accompanied by his cousin miss palmer and closely followed by weston and his cousin miss winifred weston it was not until all were fairly seated at table that i succeeded in getting a good square look at the three cousins and then i know that i did stare good heavens there had been some dreadful mistake i looked from hollingsford to weston and from weston to mitchell but without eliciting a responsive glance then i looked once more at the cousins they were all three young and very beautiful slowly the truth dawned upon me i was being made game of i had been selected as a fitting victim for an amazing practical joke once i thought i caught a faint twinkle in mitchell's perfidious eye which convinced me of the fact i doubted if these were their cousins at all it was impossible that every one of the three should have such a pretty cousin i would give them no satisfaction however they should not gather from my serene bearing that i recognized any departure from the original program so i smiled and conversed with the cousins one and all in a way calculated to show that i was perfectly at my ease miss mitchell was a brilliant brunette with laughing brown eyes and very rosy cheeks and dark wavy hair she was dressed in a gown of dark blue velvet which became her wonderfully a fact of which she seemed quite aware miss palmer and miss weston were both blondes though of quite different types the former was petite and charming with blue eyes pink cheeks and very fluffy light hair while the latter was tall and graceful with large gray eyes shaded by the longest of black lashes she had a wonderfully sweet smile which disclosed the whitest of teeth she wore her hair brushed straight back from her forehead and fastened in a simple knot at the back her dress was of plain dark green silk while miss palmer wore a charming suit of light gray 
Surely the enemy had invaded my very camp, but I would give no one the pleasure of knowing what a blaze of wrath I was inwardly stifling as I calmly passed the olives and begged the fair ones to try the salted almonds. It was not that I really objected to the pretty girls, but it was the principle of the thing. My confidence had been abused, and moreover, the wretched men had dared to invite their cousins to come and laugh at me in my own house. Oh, it was too much. It was adding insult to injury. But had those confounded fellows allowed their cousins to share the joke which they seemed to be enjoying so thoroughly? No, I would not believe them capable of such baseness. All this indignation I smothered beneath a surface of politeness and gay repartee. Miss Mitchell smiled upon me most enchantingly, admired my pet etchings, and thought me so very kind to take them to the theater afterward. Miss Palmer looked at me with the frankest of big blue eyes and seemed to possess the wonderful faculty of drawing out one's opinions and preferences for the sole purpose of showing how perfectly she agreed with them all. She seemed to have always thought just as I did on every subject, as nearly as I could ascertain. But ever and anon I fancied that I caught a significant smile passing from her to Weston, and once I felt sure that Miss Palmer actually winked at Hollingsford. This was more than flesh and blood could stand. I knew that the color was mounting to my cheeks, and that my temper was giving way. With a supreme effort, I turned and began to devote myself to Miss Winifred Weston, in whose gray eyes I discerned a sympathetic quality which somehow reconciled me to the fact that she was not either old or ugly. I found her so very sweet and interesting that I almost had forgotten that anyone else was present, until I realized that dessert was upon the table, and just in front of me I saw staring me in the face one small golden apple, which surmounted an inviting dish of bonbons. Conversation suddenly seemed to flag, and I knew that all eyes were upon the fatal apple. How I wished it a thousand miles away, and guarded by the fearful dragon of the Hesperides. Miss Kate Mitchell's eyes were twinkling, and Miss Palmer's glanced mischievously, while Miss Weston cast a sympathetic glance at me. I was sure, and my sister, who had slowly recovered from her first mute astonishment at my apparently new departure, bent upon me a questioning look. The unrivaled impudence of Hollingsford rose to the emergency. "'What is this?' he cried gaily. "'Not an apple of discord, I hope. "'I see by the expression of Lloyd's eye "'that he is going to present it to one of the young ladies. "'What a pleasure it would have been "'to have obliged Hollingsford to swallow it then and there. "'Had he told Miss Weston "'that I was to select the least attractive cousin "'and present the apple to her?' Now they were all waiting to see me give myself away, make a fool of myself, lose my temper, or do something equally unbecoming. My breath came rapidly. I reached out my hand with a nervous motion toward the apple. 
with a wild desire to seize it and hurl it wildly at the smiling and deceitful Mitchell across the table. No, I could not give it to Miss Weston, and so make her think that I considered the others better looking, when they neither of them could hold a candle to her in any respect. But then, if I gave it to either of the others, I was pledged to escort that one to the theater, to sit by her, to talk to her. No, indeed, I would do nothing of the sort. To be laughed at by Miss Mitchell, to be made fun of by Miss Palmer. I would give it to my sister first, and I prepared to murmur something idiotic about age before beauty. The pause was in reality a brief one, but it was a very bitter one, when suddenly an angel of light came to my rescue in the guise of Miss Weston, who herself reached across to the accursed dish and took the golden apple in her dainty fingers. If this is an apple of discord, she cried gaily, it is a dangerous thing, and we should beware how we trifle with it. Take warning by the fate of the first Paris, Mr. Lloyd, and do not call down upon your head the wrath of Juno and Minerva. The modern solution is quite different. Paris must keep the apple himself, and with it his dangerous opinions. Then, she added, presenting it to me with a smile, when the judgment is reversed, and Paris, instead of Aphrodite, receives the apple, surely no one can complain. I accepted it with a grateful glance calculated to convey all the admiration I longed to express, while I replied that Paris certainly has nothing to complain of when Aphrodite herself bestows so great a favor upon him. It was a delightful and happy conclusion after all, and I rose from the table in the highest of spirits, which were not lessened by the visible shade of disappointment depicted on the faces of several of the party at my having been allowed to escape so easily. I offered my arm to Miss Weston, coupled with the hope that she would accept me as her escort for the evening, which she did, and what a perfect evening it was. And that was the beginning of the end. Yes, the end of my old bachelorhood. A year ago I would never have believed that such a thing could happen. It was wholly preposterous, impossible, now it seems the most natural thing in the world. What poor, unstable human creatures we are, all of us. Still, if we must change, let it be for the better, as in my case. Mitchell, Hollingsford, and Weston had their little joke, but he laughs best who laughs last. And Weston had lost his pretty cousin into the bargain. I don't know how she ever consented to have me, she says that she married me to get rid of me, but my sister, to whom all jokes are very weighty and incomprehensible affairs, says that it was a very queer way of getting rid of me, she thinks. Among my dearest possessions, I cherish one small golden apple, which I will never part with, save to one to whom, should she require it, I might return my treasure, vowing that Paris was right after all. For it belonged to the queen of love and beauty, and to her alone. End of section 3. Recording by Sia Tuine.